as I said, we're going through this summer taking a look at thought, language, and terms that we've often used as Christians, but I wonder if they still hold meaning for us in the world today, and quite frankly, I also wonder if we're comfortable enough with our own understanding about what we think they mean. So we're going to spend some time this summer taking a look at some of these old church words and wondering if they have any value for us today. Today we're talking about sin. I decided to bring some experts in, so I'm glad you are here. (laughs) I'm going to invite Barb just to go ahead and read to us. You could go thousands of places in the scripture to find a passage of scripture that refers to sin. We arbitrarily, I arbitrarily picked this one from 1 John. As a church, as its fledgling state is still trying to figure out what it is, what to do about it, and what its power or lack of power is in the light of the gospel. So, Barb, thanks for sharing. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us, it is that, that they did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has yet been not revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purified themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sins is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Everyone who commits sin is a child of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born of God do not sin, because God's seed abides in them. They cannot sin, because they have been born of God. The children of God and the children of the devil are revealed in this way. All who do not do what is right are not from God, nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Barbara. Join with me in a word of prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come before you with a very simple three-letter word, and we confess that we are both confused by it, bothered by it, sometimes dismissive of it, and yet we understand that it is a part of your word, part of our experience, and however we have chosen to think about it on a day-to-day experience, It is a power in this world and in our lives, so we ask you to help us walk through this quagmire of thoughts and emotions and guide us to a path that leads us to you and to the power of your light, cleansing, perfecting, and blessing us. 
We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, so this is something I'm going to start off with, and it's going to probably sound... Would you give me a Kleenex right there? Thanks, Hal. Probably going to seem bothersome to you, but I hate the scripture that Barbara just read to you, which is why I had to read it to you. Because... I just think at this point the gospel writer was on vacation and he gave it over to a substitute. And then it didn't get caught in the proofing. It became part of the gospel word. Because did you hear what he said? All who sin are a child of who? And, and if you are a child of God, you can't sin. Well, my, yeah, we're in trouble. Preach, Barb. You come up here and preach. You got it going on, girl. We are in trouble. I'm here to tell you, I just don't think that's right. Do you? See, you want to be careful when you're reading Scripture and you come to a passage like this and, and you walk, well, the Bible said it, so therefore, if I'm a child of God, I can't sin, or if I'm a sinner, then I'm just a child of the devil. And that's exactly the kind of thinking that I believe has messed us up on understanding or even wanting to talk about sin for generations. Now, do I really think the gospel writer here screwed up? I think he gives a very strong emphasis on an explanation of what sin is, but it's not his only language around sin. You have to read all of his gospel. And you also have to put in light of the context with the rest of the Bible on sin. That's what happens when you run a passage that just makes no sense to you and seems offensive, and you can't imagine how God would ever allow such a thing to happen, there's a real good chance that what you're looking at is an emphasis to make a point, and that there's a broader conversation that goes on in the Scriptures around whatever topic we're talking about today. It's sin. So I want to tell you that the Bible says an awful lot about sin that doesn't suggest that if you sin, you're simply a child of the devil. It is a part of the human condition. Who committed the first sin? Eve. Wow, be careful. Adam and Eve, right? right? They listened to God. They, they fell away from the garden. And, uh, and the way God wanted them to be, they listened to that old snake in the grass, if you will. And so what they did is they immediately began to not live up to what God intended. So sin begins in the very first part of Genesis. It becomes a part of our human story. The entire story of the Bible is about us struggling with and against the understanding of sin. Uh, oftentimes, I think, we, come, we default back to the teachings of what we think about sin to what we were taught as a child. So let me ask you this question. You have in your bulletin a place where you can write. You see where the scripture is printed? And there's some lines there. We well, don't have to stay within the lines. Most of you don't stay within the lines in the rest of your life. You don't have to do it in the bulletin. Just take your pencil or pen or whatever, and I want you to write very quickly, very briefly, use code if you don't want your neighbor to see what you're writing, answer this question, what is sin? I'm going to give you 30 seconds. What is sin? As you're finishing, 
putting your answer to that question that I'm going to ask you this second question. This one I'm not even going to ask you to even try to write on your paper. I just want you to put it, the answer in your mind. What is the sin that's afflicting you the most right now? Or another way to ask it, what is the sin you just really wish God could take away from your experience in your life right now? Okay, let's go to the first one. What is sin? Growing up, I was taught that sin was willful disobedience of God's law. Anybody have anything close to that? When I intentionally chose to say, nuts to you, God, or worse. When I intentionally knew that one of the Ten Commandments said this, I'm going this way instead. It was intentional. It was my attempt to try to put myself over and above God's purpose for my life, and it was to do something that was contrary to what God would want me to do. Would you agree with that that may be a potential definition of sin? So I think that is one possibility, a way of thinking of sin. It certainly is a way we take it into our human experience. We talk about willful disobedience against our parents or against the law. You know, that if I go out today and commit a crime against the laws of my country or my county or whatever, uh, then I am outside the law. I'm being lawless. And that's really what seems to be being talked about here, at least in part of the scripture today. That's a part of what the definition of sin is. Another definition of sin I was given early on was that sin is missing the mark. Have any of you ever heard that? The illustration I was given as a child at the camp I was attending was that it's like having an archer. An archer aims his arrow, and God is aiming me at a particular place, and I choose intentionally not to hit the mark. I go astray. I go away from the path of God, and whatever takes me away from the path of God is, in fact, my sin. I've heard that definition as well. I've often heard also sin defined very simply as a description of acts and behavior that people commit that we find offensive. Do you know what some of those acts might be? There are two different kinds, I guess. How many of you were raised in the Catholic heritage or tradition? We got some good Catholics. That's okay. We love you. We're glad you won you over. That's all I'm saying. No, that's not true. But but there's mortal and venial sin, right? All right. Let me see how good I am with my Catholic Catholicism, okay? Mortal sins are those acts I commit that, quite frankly, may send me to hell. How am I doing? Good? So what would those sins be like? You know, murder and uh, adultery and, you know, abuse and those kinds of things, Okay? And then there's venial sin. Venial sin is a kind of sin that you probably shouldn't do that in front of God, but it may not send you to hell. We'll have to see later. How's that for a definition? You know, the kinds of things Christians don't do in public with other Christians. Kind of sin. And over the years, those sins have changed. Back um, over 100 years ago, uh, the sin of a Methodist, would have been dancing and drinking. You darn well better not dance because that's a sin, and you darn well better not drink because that's a sin. Well, let me ask you, how's that working for you today? 
I always knew the musicians would laugh on that. I always knew that. You see, the reality is that our understanding of those kinds of sins vary over time, don't they? Now, let me also ask this way. Would you consider drinking a sin if it led you to complete drunkenness and behavior that destroyed other people's lives? See, there's variations. You can have a drink, but you can't get drunk. We start trying to split hairs on that. Have you ever noticed that the sins that bother you the most are the ones that other people commit? (laughs) Have you figured that out? I'm really good telling you about Hal sinning. (laughs) Mine's, though, just sort of an adaptation of a behavior. And I want to tell you that I think the biggest problem that keeps us from really dealing with the issue of sin today as Christians, and I'm just going to lay this out there, and I know some of you will not like this, and that's okay. Can we talk about sin without talking about damnation in the same sentence? See, I think what really happens is, is that we start talking about sin, and we immediately go to, well, if you're going to sin, you're going to go to hell. Well, I haven't preached that sermon yet. That's coming up later this summer. But I want to give you this. It seems to me we have a hard time talking about sin because we think as soon as we talk about sin, we've got to talk about who's going to heaven, who's going to hell. And let me give you the code on this. I've never seen Christians handle that conversation very well. Do you ever notice that Christians, when they talk about sin, immediately want to go to who's going to hell, and they oftentimes are able to list their neighbors? Or they list themselves and put themselves down as something worthless and meaningless. And I think both of those conversations keep us from really getting to the issue of sin. So can we just do this? Just just go with me for about eight more minutes. Just go with me on this. What I'm going to say today has nothing to do with going to heaven or hell. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. All we're going to talk about, how does sin affect us in our life today? Can we just stay there? Can I get an amen if you're awake? Okay, so here we go. Sin is a real power in this world. I don't want to pretend to you that I think it isn't. I know people have said, Rick, you don't preach about sin very much. And you're going to hear why in just a second. They talk about uh, President Truman, who was leaving church one day, and the press got to him and said, so how would you like worship today? And President Truman said it was fine. And they said, what did the preacher talk about? And he said, sin. And they asked, what did he say about it? He said he was against it. Well, so I'm here to tell you that I'm against sin. But I want to tell you why I'm against sin. Because I spend some of my ministry, don't you spend some of your life, dealing with the after effects of sin? I deal with the brokenness of humanity. All kidding aside, one of the privileges that people like Hal and I have is to be drawn into places when people's lives have completely blown up. It's ugly, it's messy, it's not fun. But it's the kind of place that we were called to go to, so we go there. But we've left weeping. I've seen the after effects of sin in families and individuals and in communities. So much so that there's no way you'll ever convince me that sin doesn't exist. It does. It is a power in this world. I want to be clear about that. I want you to not walk out of here thinking that it's not a power, because it is. 
But I also want you to understand how I think we can talk about sin, perhaps in a way that makes it relevant to where we are living today in the 21st century in our context. It's this. I think it's about distortion. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I walked into the bank, and uh, I was walking. There was no customers in the bank, and so there was just the tellers, and they were having a lot of fun, which is fine. And so I commented about how they were having an awful lot of fun being bankers today. And the one girl uh, said to me, looked me up, sized me up, and said, do you know what Snapchat is? Now, I know that I look like a guy who should not know what Snapchat is, so I get why she asked the question. So I was really proud to say, of course I know what Snapchat is making most of that up in my mind. I don't have Snapchat, but I've heard people talk about it. I do know it's a way you can communicate with each other by sending pictures. I do know it's a way that you can take those pictures and uh, adjust them, you know, do things with the pictures. So what she said is, well, let me show you what we're doing. So they had just taken each other's picture. And then they had, in taking each other's picture, put each other's face on the other person's body. So they were just really stupid-looking pictures. That was a stupid thing, right? And it looked silly and, and uh, grotesque a little bit. They were having fun with each other about that. I was looking at the picture. I thought, my mama knew what this was about. My mama, who's 89 years old, knew this 60, 70 years ago. Because when I was sitting at home and I was pouting, I was being grumpy, I was doing whatever, and I was letting people know it by the way I was looking, she would say, you better stop doing that. Your face will freeze that way. Anybody hear that in your life? Right? And the thing, of course, the scary is you don't want to walk around through the world life with your face looking the way that it is. Because it's distorted. Because it looks weird. And you want to do that. I think sin is about distortion. I really do believe that God has an intentionality for each one of us and for the community that we live in and for the world. I do believe that God has a desire for the way we're called to live our lives. I don't think God sits around checks off every day, how you doing today, pass, fail, but rather looks at the totality of my life and says, am I living in the way in which God intended me to live? In harmony with my brothers and sisters, broadly defined not just by blood, uh, in harmony with the way in which God wants me to be God's child, Helping you create the world the way God sees it. And as long as I'm moving in that direction, as long as I'm living in those places, as long as I'm attempting in my life to live the way God intends me to live, then I'm living by faith and in grace. Because the only way I can make that happen is by grace. Because I'm not that nice a guy. I'm not that talented of a guy. I'm not that faithful a guy to sit around and go, I'm going to do everything right. I have to do it by God's grace. I have to do it by laying myself into God's hands and saying, God, you've got to guide me through this. And when I don't do that, when I live my life in ways different from how God would intend my life to be lived, it's distorted. It's twisted. It gets a little grotesque. It comes out in behavior that denies God. And keeps from what God has intended and happening, what God would want to have happen in this creation from occurring. I'm making that other behavior more important than God's desire. That for me is sin. You see, it gets away from the list of things that you do that I don't like. 
and gets more into an understanding of what are we called to do as God's child to live into the world. But of course, all this is predicated on one thing. Do you care what God cares about? You know, sin doesn't matter to people who don't care about God. Why would it? Why do you care if you're going to sin about a God you don't believe in? There's no reason to worry about that. For us to have an understanding of what we think about sin, we first have to consider what we believe about God. Hal, come over here, would you please, just for a second? See, Hal's here. I'm, you know, Hal and I have been friends for a while, and uh, we're getting even closer, and we're fishing buddies and the whole bit. So Hal's a part of the factor of my life. I live part of my life knowing that you know, Hal's a part of my journey, and I want to make Hal really happy because he takes me to good fishing spots if I do. So I'm happy to do that. So I don't want to sin against Hal. But what if one day I were to say, I don't believe in Hal. Is he still there? <laughs> He's still there. All right, thanks, Hal. See, the point is, Val, or Hal, Hal. Hal is not validated or invalidated by whether I declare whether he's there or not. Amen? He's still there. The people who come to me say, well, I, 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 I believe in God. Well, good. Because God's been believing in you the whole time. You see what I'm saying? And so when I come into people and say, I don't believe in God, my response is, okay, well, good news is God still believes in you. And the statement you're making today is the statement you're making today. I don't know about tomorrow. Because I don't know about them, but I know about myself. My life has changed over the years. My understandings has changed over the years. And sometimes you can come into moments in an instant when your life perspective changes. Do you know what I'm talking about? The people who don't believe in God today just might one day wake up and go, Holy God. And when we come into an understanding of who God is, we begin caring about the things God cares about. The question of the Christian walk is, how much do you care about the things that God cares about? See, I don't think the issue of sin is whether or not you've been avoiding pornography and alcoholism and abuse and addiction and adultery and whatever have you. I don't think, that's, I don't think it's that simple. I think it begins with the question, do you care about the things God cares about? I mean, if you're living your life with, you know, if you're locking yourself in your house, in your apartment, if you're, if you're making sure you don't sin because you don't do anything, I don't think you've conquered the problem of sin. I don't think inactivity is the way God intended your life to be lived. I believe sin happens when we are unwilling to live our life each day into the fulfillment of what God wants to have happen. So it begs the question, when you get up in the morning, how much are you saying, today I want to serve God in everything I do, how can I do that? When you do that, you're walking by faith and in grace. And when you don't do that, I'm doing my own thing, I don't really care what God thinks about, and that by definition is sin. And it may just look like apathy. Which is why I think for most of us in churches like Clarkson United Methodist Church need to reclaim a doctrine of sin. Because most of us are either not the abject, horrible sinners in the world, or we've gotten really good at hiding it. 
And all we're hiding are behaviors. We're not focused on what are we living our life for? What are we trying to accomplish with my breath? By the time I get to the end of today, how will I have served and honored God today? I can only do that by grace and in faith and trusting in God. And when I do that, I'm living in faith. If I'm not intentionally doing that, what am I living in? Sin. In Romans 3, the Apostle Paul says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I've talked about that before in classes. I've had people say, well, that's not, I haven't, no, I don't do that all the time. Yeah, you do. So do I. Because there's not any day where I'm able to get through it perfectly, living it to the glory of God. But God's grace allows me to do a little bit better tomorrow and be forgiven of what happened yesterday. So let me come back to what I originally asked you. What is sin? There are a thousand definitions. And the amount of time I have today, I can't go through all of them. But I just want to give you this thought to think about today. I'm going to ask you to think about this. Sin is the distortion of your life in any moment when you're not living it to the glory of God. Sin is when you're living your life complacent and happy but not serving God's people. Because God wants you to have more. God wants you to know the blessing and the joy that comes when you're living fully into the glory of God's grace. God doesn't need you to be complacent or simply filled with the joy of the things of this world that satisfy you for a short time but do not last forever. God wants you to have more. So I invite you to consider how you're distorted from what God would want you to be today. How you think about yourself. How you think about your neighbors. How you think about your potential. How you think about tomorrow. And give it over to God. And what sin in your life do you want to be set free from the most? Let me give you the simplest answer I can for you to be set free. Quit worrying about your sin and quit thinking and loving God. Every person with addiction I've worked with in my ministry has never begun to get healthy from their addiction until they quit thinking about their addiction and start thinking about healthy living. Quit using your addiction, or I'm just, I'm a drunk, or I'm using drugs, whatever it is, and they keep cycling around the reality that's their identity. The only way to break out of that cycle is to quit living that cycle. Start living for something that matters. If you're being addicted by a sin, being afflicted by a sin, that you're ashamed of, that your family's being destroyed by, then I'm going to tell you right now, lay it down and start serving God in the best way you know how. That's when God's grace can come in and begin to heal the power of that sin over you. I was raised in an era when our government told people who were addicted, just say no. Remember those days? Just say no to drugs. You can't just say no to drugs. If you're addicted, it doesn't matter what you say. You're addicted. Instead of just saying no to sin, Say yes to God. Move forward in your faith, which is why we're having communion today. We're going to invite you to come forward in a few minutes. And if you can't come forward, we'll be willing to come to you in the pews, but just know that by doing so, we're still accepting the fact you're coming forward to accept the power of Jesus Christ. You're coming forward in the next few minutes to take some bread and to dip into the cup 
and to receive intentionally Jesus Christ in your life because here's what that declaration says. I'm going to let today, the rest of today, be, be about being lived into the glory of God. I'm going to focus on Christ. I'm going to come to Christ. I'm going to be reconciled to Christ. And that's what allows sin to fall away. That's what allows new life to happen. Let the distortions of your life be replaced by the beauty of your life, blessed by Christ. Come forward to receive. The opening hymn, Come to the Gospel Feast, was written by Charles Wesley because he believed there are a whole bunch of sinners out there, including himself, that could be blessed if they just came forward. So come forward and be blessed and allow God to live in you today. That's how sin gets washed away. Amen.